Am I not being loud tonight? You're not being loud tonight at all. Okay. Somebody wants... See, I'm I'm spiking there. Mm-hmm. Can you hear me? Testing, testing. Sing, I'm singing. Sing the song. Somebody once told me... No, I'm not singing the song. <laughs> I can... Welcome to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter, and today we are discussing chapter 9 in the book Prince Caspian. This chapter is titled, What Lucy Saw. I am a wizened but hearty old oak with a frizzled beard and warts on my face and hands and hair growing out of the warts, also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host... I'm a gracious goddess, smooth and stately, the lady of the wood, also known as Chris. Hello, Chris. Welcome. I knew you'd do one of those and I was going to do the other one. (laughs) Welcome, Kristen. Uh, So a couple matters to attend to right away. Uh, One, I know our listeners can't hear this, but you have some really fun new hair. I have some fun new hair. It makes such noise. That's what Kristen spent most of her day doing is getting fun new hair. Having visual (laughs) noise applied to my hair. Uh Uh-huh. We can... You, know, you want to post a picture of that on the official Instagram? Or, Are you uh, going to? I mean, I, I keep saying I'm going to manage the social medias for this uh, Yeah, this You should actually like, text me when you say what you're going to put on the social media because I don't remember. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. But your hair looks great. Thank you. Cool. Uh, we're doing a, a rare nighttime record here. It's dark outside. So, you know, if we seem a little bit more... Sleepy? Sleepy than usual... I was going to say loosey-goosey. It's or because like we had place. a dinner of apples. <laughs> Us and our apples that we eat all the time. Yep. Um, before we get into it with our summary and everything, I did have an important point of order. Uh, we have to uh, do an update, which we very rarely do. Um, in our last episode, I made uh, a few comments about how overall I feel like the, the chapters in the books that we've been reading, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, almost at times seem dictated or, you know, not necessarily, uh, like it makes more sense that C.S. Lewis is laying on a couch somewhere and like telling a story to someone than he is sitting down and writing it. Okay. And so I just kind of, kind of commented on that. And friend of the podcast, Nathan, got back to us a few days later, uh, where he came across an article talking about how apparently C.S. Lewis never learned to type. There you go. Uh, and preferred when he did writing to use a pen and ink well. I'm not necessarily saying that completely shoots down my theory of them being dictated, but I, I did throw something out there about uh, wanting to see a picture of C.S. Lewis using a typewriter. He apparently never did. <laughs> uh, which, so I had I had no idea I was onto something there, but... You were. You blew that well, one wide open. Uh, I did blow it wide open, and I found a quote from C.S. Lewis, uh, which I think fits really nicely here. Quote, I never exactly made a book. It's rather like taking dictation. I was given things to say. Interesting. Yep. This is so. This is his uh, That's his a thoughts. Very odd way of putting that. I think that that <laughs> that is a very interesting way of putting it because to me that kind of sparks in my mind this idea of the uh, the muse mm-hmm. dictating to C.S. Lewis this story to tell that he's not 
giving himself any credit for coming up with. Yep. You heard it here first, folks. Unless, of course, you have previously read an article about C.S. Lewis, which obviously neither of us has ever done. Yeah, I, I've read a couple. I've skimmed a couple, let's be honest. Um, anyway, let's we, should, we should just get into the podcast if we want to go ahead and do our summaries. All right. What are we reading this week, Kristen? This, the summary of chapter nine? Yeah. What Lucy saw? Yeah. Um, you can do your summary first. Right. Uh, I'll do my summary first because I would like to do my rewrite later second because I think I have a really good one this time. Okay. I'm going to steal a sip of your tea while you do that. Enjoy. So without further ado, here's my summary for this chapter. They went ashore at last, far too tired to attempt lighting a fire, and even a supper of apples, though most of them felt that they never wanted to see an apple again, seemed better than trying to catch or shoot anything. Lucy felt that at any moment she would begin to understand what the trees were trying to say. When she was able to take notice of things again, she saw a great, grim-looking gray bear lying dead with Trumpkin's arrow in its side. And he wanted us to go where he was. Up there. Wouldn't it be fair to believe her this time? All right. So -hmm. I think we have two sentences in common. Okay. So here's my five-sentence summary of chapter nine, what Lucy saw in uh, hashtag Narnia Chopped. They went ashore at last. They went ashore at last, far too tired to attempt lighting a fire and even a supper of apples, though most of them felt that they never wanted to see an apple again, seemed better than trying to catch or shoot anything. They went a few dozen yards through fairly open woodland, keeping a sharp lookout. Aslan himself. And he wanted us to go where he was, up there. I know Lucy may be right after all, but I can't help it. Yeah, I thought about that one. Uh, I I really wanted to use the Aslan himself as just a short little sentence, but I didn't want to give the false impression that Aslan shows up in this chapter because he doesn't really. I mean, Aslan doesn't show up at all ever in uh, The Horse and His Boy either until one scene. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, It's, It's Aslan. We mm-hmm. all know it's Aslan. There's so... Mm, uh-huh. You know it's Aslan. No, I'm just, you know, playing the part of Peter here. Nobody you, else saw it except Lucy. You know <laughs> that it's Aslan. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's let's get into this chapter a bit. There's a lot of conflict in this chapter. Uh, I, would, I would go on my spiel about nothing actually happening plot-wise, which doesn't really, but... There, there is, I think, a bit, quite a bit of character development, some growth, some conflict here, mm. and there's some interesting lines to look at. All dwarfs snore, for example. <laughs> these books and these stereotypes that it just throws out about all the races. Also, the idea of trying to uh, sleep by not trying to sleep. Yeah, no, that's true. Like if you if you actively try to focus on going to sleep, you'll never you'll never do it. Like that's that's just good advice right there. Um. So we start out, we land. No, it's not. Do you think you can get to sleep by actively trying and willing yourself to sleep? Yes. Okay, then you're a weirdo. That doesn't work for me or anybody else. Okay, um, you also <laughs> know I'm an insomniac. So, uh-huh. like, I've tried everything when it comes to trying to go to sleep. And know. staring at the wall going, I'm not trying to go to sleep, is no different no, than staring at the wall going, I would really like to be sleeping right now. No, you distract yourself by thinking about other things. You look around the room, you 
focus on other things while laying there. As a person with anxiety, I know that everything you're saying is absolute nonsense. You do not look around the room and distract yourself. I've done it You look around the room like me and go, oh, I forgot to clean that. Oh, I should do that. In the morning, I need to take care of that. Well, I mean, I could take care of it the next time I get up to go pee. Oh, like right now. This For the is, third time tonight. This is why we don't do night records. Anyway, let's actually talk about the <laughs> chapter here. Kristen's had the entire day to get frustrated with me. Um, <laughs> Not with you. I haven't seen you all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so they come ashore. They, you know, in their great river journey, which apparently took a really, really long time. All the way up the river until the trees on either shore seem to create a canopy over their heads. Mm-hmm. There's way too much time spent describing how a river narrows. I mean, Lewis and his trees. Like, he's got to get some tree descriptions in here. And, and boy, oh, howdy, do oh we have boy, some. Oh, boy, does he. <laughs> um, we do. Uh, and everybody's going to camp. We're too tired to go, and like, obviously, as we said in our summary sentences, too tired to build a fire, catch anything. We'll just, like, but they do create a little bivouac. Yep. Let's. Bivouac. You like that word a lot, don't you? I've always liked that word. <laughs> bivouac. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they create that. I had they... to create a list poem one time, and I created a list poem with my favorite words. Yeah, this episode's going to take a really languages. long time. Yeah, go ahead. And I should have had bivouac in it. Mm-hmm. That's all. I've always liked bijou. Anyway, um... In Spanish, one of my favorites is equipaje. I just... And pájaro. I just... I love those two words and the way that they sound, and they just... Okay. We're, we're getting dangerous. Luggage and parrots. We're... We're getting dangerously close to that asthma podcast that we're never going to do. Um, so... Let's... Let's stay on task. Um, so we go to sleep. Too tired to build a fire. Lucy wakes up in the middle of the night. You know... She sees some stars. Oh, hey, look, there's stars. She recognizes constellations. Cool, there's a leopard. No, 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 no. Don't, no, don't, don't, don't just sit here and dismiss the constellations. Well, okay. We... Lucy has spent more time as an adult in Narnia than she has ever spent in as, an, as a, as a grown-up mm-hmm. of any kind in our world. <laughs> yes. And she so up she's later. never learned the constellations here mm-hmm. because she hasn't been able to stay up late on Earth. Which is, um, like, to me, the stars are an amazing thing that I have so much memory and, like, life associated with from, like, our first real date date that you took me to see a meteor shower to, like, building a telescope with my dad when I was a kid and getting to see the moons of Jupiter. Like, this is such amazing stuff to me that's been intrinsically part of my life. And to think back on a time where I wouldn't recognize the stars outside is crazy to me. And it's like, oh, no, no, that makes sense. There was a time where I could have identified one star in the sky. But Lucy is getting to look up and have all of these memories of learning and growing with the stars in Narnia that she doesn't have a, a, an analog for on Earth. And I think that it's, I've like, I, I wrote stars in big letters on my paper because we're going to talk about stars. You don't get to just brush over this. Mm-hmm. Like, Lucy is, this is another one of those moments where she's both a child and an adult in a child's body where she hasn't had the chance to grow up, but she's also had the chance to grow up. She hasn't learned about the stars, but she's learned about the stars. And um, which one specifically does she call out the... Uh, 
constellation of? Uh, so three of them. She says the ship, the hammer, and the leopard. And I think that those three might be important symbols that are going to come up throughout this because we do have a ship, a hammer, and a leopard as things that have, I mean, I don't know about a leopard, but I know that like ships and hammers have already come up in some of the other books. Like we had the the Splendor Highline, and like we have this like image of the dwarves in their underground making armor forge and i'm sure they have hammers what no you decided that it's come up in another book so i was like that was in this one i Um, know that that was in this one but we all like come on like i i i i am bookmarking dog-earing these images Mm -hmm. because i feel like they are symbolic that these are the specific images that lucy calls out now we have a foreshadowing with the ship, maybe. I mean, mm-hmm. there is the voyage of the Dawn Treader coming up, mm-hmm. and uh, I will spoil it and say that Lucy's in that book. I mean, wow, is that really a big spoiler? That hurts me. Did I damage oh. you? <laughs> yeah. Did I actually? Because I'll cut that out. No. <laughs> so we have a book coming up, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And like, so that's obviously going to be about a ship. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just feel like these images could be more important. Yeah. Does, than, the, does the silver chair get built with a hammer? I don't know. But like, within all of that, we just, yeah. we've already had the stars as an icon in this book. This book specifically about the change happening and this this conjunction of the stars mm-hmm. and this kind of handing off of, of this, like, victory and peace mm-hmm. images coming together in the sky. Which, when, when, it, when it says she is going out to look at the stars, like, I was sure that's what they were going to allude to. She sees these two, you know, things con- con- concluding, uh, conjoining, is that what yeah, the word is? Uh, They're not colluding together. They could be. This is Narnia, all, you know. They could be. Maybe the stars are alive. Who knows? Well, they've probably gone to sleep. <laughs> Possibly. Since they were singing at creation and they don't do that much more. Yeah. Anyway, do you have do you have more on the stars? No, no, I just, I feel like it's, it's, I feel like it's been an image that's been conveyed throughout so far that the stars do have a, a role and that the stars that Lucy has seen have to be important. Mm-hmm. Just otherwise, it's inconsistent with the way that we've seen all of this. Not, I mean, if nothing more than it's showing a little more about Lucy's character that these are the ones she recognizes. Like, if if people look up at the stars and they're like, "Oh, there's the Big Dipper," and uh, that's it in the Northern Hemisphere, I'm gonna be like, "Oh, okay, so like you don't really, you're not into stars." But, like, if people look up and they're like, there's the Pleiades and there's Cassiopeia. And that is the Little Dipper, which is part of the back of the Great Bear. And if you follow this line from the Big Dipper, you will find uh, whatever the name of the North Star is. Polaris. Polaris. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got there. <laughs> um, and so, like. I'm sorry. You don't seem like you're into stars. <laughs> Go. Sorry. No, I'm done. Uh, nope. <laughs> Go ahead. I was making a fun joke. Yep, move on. Okay. So anyway, she wanders out at night, looks at the stars, um, and then goes on a little walkabout. She goes on a, me- on a meandering ramble through the forest and looks around at all the trees and gets real sad about the fact that the trees don't talk anymore. 
And she knows what every one of them's voice would sound like and mm-hmm. what their human form would look like. An important lore revelation here. This is the first time, like we've mentioned talking trees several times throughout the books. This is the first time that it's ever said anything about them taking on human form. Well, we've talked so, about dryads. Yes, which are... And dancing like, with the dryads. So yes, they, they've are, obviously taken on a form that could dance. Well, I mean, the dryads are traditionally like woodland spirits or like caretakers or druids or something and not necessarily trees themselves turned into form. So I thought this was an interesting bit of lore. Okay. That the trees aren't just... This isn't like an ant situation where they're literally they're just trees walking about. They take on form if they want to communicate. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and apparently birches are slender girls and, you know, oaks are gross-looking old men. Uh, oh, I'm gross-looking, huh? I'm wizened, uh-huh, but covered, hardy. Covered in hairy warts. I'm wizened, but hardy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we have the beach, which is just like the lady of the wood, goddess, smooth, stately. Um, and I gotta confess here, folks, I I could not in a lineup point out a beech tree. <laughs> Uh, no, because like I know what a birch I like I know what a birch looks like from the bark. I'm very familiar with oaks because like grew up in the south and giant old oaks trees are everywhere. But I could not tell you what a beech tree looks like. Okay, maybe maybe I should look that up. We'll post it on the Instagram for. <laughs> Will you know? <laughs> anybody who also doesn't know. There's um, a slender lady. Okay, that's a beech tree. Yep, that's right. a beech tree. Fascinating. Cool. And it's got nothing on Camforce. Uh, so she sees the trees, trees, this trees. This is also a beech tree, which is not a slender lady. Ooh, she's a, he's a big gal. <laughs> Apparently they, they come in all shapes and sizes, just like ladies. There are oh. five common varieties of beech trees, apparently. Okay. Fun. Anyway, Lucy comes out and she calls out to the trees. She does. She calls out to the trees very much in this, like, overcome by a need to speak words that she doesn't necessarily know whether or not they have any magic to them or any power Mm -hmm. she just calls out to the trees and she does it in a very like spiritual way or very like magic calling up like a way that you would call to spirits sorry tubs and tortoise shells give me a moment to find this (laughs) Uh uh-huh she also says, don't you remember it? Don't you remember it? But she also says, don't you remember me? Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought was interesting where she like did make it a little bit about herself. Okay, so, oh, trees, 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 said Lucy, though she had not been intending to speak at all. It's like it overcame her and just like exploded out of her. Mm-hmm. Oh, trees, wake, wake, wake. Thrice spoken and done. Don't you remember it? Don't you remember me? Dryads and hammer dryads, come out, come to me. Uh-huh. And the, these lines here, where she's talking to the trees, it's it's coming from her where she's calling out in this thrice spoken. Uh-huh. But it reminds me of awake, 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 which is what Aslan said to the trees when he was first called Narnia into being. Mm-hmm. When he was first singing Narnia into being. Yeah. He said, awake, awake, awake. Okay. But I, I want to rush you along because we're getting dangerously close to my whole thing that I have for my uh, baseless speculation segment. Okay. So I want to talk about this later. I will bring it up. 
Okay. But um, also what's interesting here, uh, that, you know, and something well, happens. Let me put my book down so yeah. I don't snap pages. Go yeah. ahead. And something happens here. Uh, there was no breeze, but there was a rustling. Yes. The trees rustle almost like something something has hurt her. Something hurt her. Maybe but it was a bear, not, but not quite hurt a, her. Not quite enough to stir. Uh, and I think this part is is intriguing, where she says, uh, "Yet Lucy had the feeling." Uh, and there's a little parentheses where Lewis is just like, and you sometimes have when you're trying to remember a name or date and you almost get it, but it vanishes before you really do. Uh, that she had just missed something as if she had spoken to the trees a split second too soon or a split second too late or used all the right words except one or put in one word that was just wrong. And this feels very like ritualistic or magical, almost yes. like she's trying to cast some sort of spell here. Yes. Uh-huh. Like, she was just, like, she. this is something that she barely remembers and, like, doesn't quite have it right to actually waken the trees from their slumber. Correct. Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what I was thinking and feeling about it, especially after this little, like, sacred moment with the stars. Mm-hmm. Where we have the ship and the hammer and the... Leopard. Leopard. I keep wanting to say cougar. The ship, the hammer, and the leopard. Mm-hmm. And so we have this this journey, mm-hmm. this tool, and this foe or hazard that you could call okay. the leopard. You're, you're, you're digging real into this. Oh, golly gee. I just, <laughs> like, I could, I could spend 30 minutes just on, on the star constellations that she described. You like the constellation symbolism. I do. I'm always going to because it's stars. Uh-huh. I feel about stars the way Lewis feels about trees. Why don't you write a book about stars? And no, I'm just going to make a shirt. <laughs> I think John Green wrote a book about them, like, something being wrong with stars, so. It's the um, fault the fault in our stars and that's fate that's not it was a joke a symbol it was a joke that i was trying to tell to the podcast because we have people who listen to the podcast that read books and i thought they'd get it and laugh okay anyway um (laughs) i'm glad that i could help y'all get that so you could laugh Mm -hmm, i'm pretty sure (laughs) if you're a listener and you got that joke before Kristen explained it uh tweet at us yeah Mm -hmm. where do they tweet at us hashtag uh you know at at chronically pot on twitter uh do hashtag chris so funny um anyway two s's mm-hmm. chris so funny uh yeah anyway lucy goes back to sleep everybody wakes up the next morning and then we are going to wander about in the woods because we're not really sure where we're going uh and this is where the problems start because we start having some arguments between the kids here yeah like whether or not a compass can work on a disc world now, because this because it's a Discworld, which we don't know yet in this book, doesn't preclude it from having a magnetic North Pole. Yes, but they didn't have a compass when they were here as kings and queens, so they don't know which direction. Like all they would know is that the sun rises here and sets here, and we're going to call that east and west. But mm-hmm. if they look at a compass in the evening and haven't established that that actually lines up with the sun's movement, yeah. they could be heading straight towards sunset when they meant to ha- go 90 degrees right of it because they're not paying attention. That is correct. Um, but nobody... Haven't you ever <laughs> written sci-fi before? Planets are different from each other, y'all. Oh, uh, they are. Um, 
So yeah, we have we have an argument where you know Edmund's just like, oh hey, you have that pocket compass, Peter, which is kind of useless. Uh, trying to find the river, um, and then there's some sexism casually that happens. Oh, <laughs> women could never hold a map in their head. That's because we've got something in our heads. <laughs> uh huh. That was a good comeback from Lucy. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I like Lucy. <laughs> it's a very Lucy centric chapter. It is. She's got a lot of stuff going on. Um, yeah, they, you know, I that's mean, a, it's called what Lucy saw. Yeah. So was it the stars? Was it the trees <laughs> kind of moving a little bit? We know it's Aslan. Was it the <laughs> dead bear? So we have a bear, uh, that shows up. Uh, they wander around the woods for quite a while. They hear something rustling. And we see it from Lucy's <clears throat> perspective, which is just, oh, it's dead now. <laughs> Yep, we, we hear some stuff. We don't actually see the bear charge, but all of a sudden there's a dead bear and Trumpkin's arrow is sticking out of it. Um, yeah, and we have a, a, an interesting discussion about whether or not this was an actual, you know, sentient, intelligent bear that we shouldn't have killed or what, because, you know, how do we know at this point? How indeed. And everybody's just like, well, it seemed violent. It seemed like it was going to attack us. Yes, and... Mm-hmm. I saw the face and I heard the snarl. Is what Trumpkin says about it. Mm-hmm. That there was there was no there was no way it could have been a talking bear. Mm-hmm. And then we have Lucy, like and Susan being escorting themselves away from the skinning of the bear. Also, also I'm going to jump in here and say I I feel like this scene is a little bit like I don't know how Narnian bears operate. Uh, I do feel like it's a little bit unrealistic where unless Trumpkin got off a real, real good shot, like taking down a charging bear with one arrow seems like it wouldn't really work. Also, like, would a bear attack a group of four noisy humans moving through the woods mm. if they didn't accidentally come between it and its young? I mean, it's if, if he's forgotten himself and he's been driven to madness, which is apparently a thing bears are prone to, because the only animal that we've ever seen that has reverted back to its bestial nature has been a bear. Yes, so that's maybe true. We saw a, that in, in A Horse and His Boy. Maybe this is a bear thing. With that said, though, mm-hmm. we then have a very deep topic touched upon mm-hmm. as Lucy and Susan are away from this grisly activity of skinning the bear. Yep, because they want to take that bear meat. Have you ever had bear no, I haven't had bear. No, to my knowledge, at least. Yeah. Um, Where you'd even try that. So, yeah, they're they're trying to get the bear meat because, as Trumpkin said, meat can be pretty scarce. They're going to be happy for it later. That's all very well established, etc. It would be a shame to leave the car- carcass here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have Lucy saying, Such a horrible idea has come into my head, Sue. Wouldn't it be dreadful if someday in our own world, at home, men started going wild inside, like the animals here, and still looked like men, so that you'd never know which were which? So, there are a couple of things I wanted to talk about with this. One, of course, being the idea of men going wild and losing this idea of intelligence and whatever we can establish with that. The other is we have 
talked many times now about what the Narnian animals represent in this unchanging state that they operate in mm-hmm. when obviously they can change. Mm-hmm. They can revert to their wild form. And when they do that, they operate completely different than they would in their in their talking intelligent form. Uh-huh. And they have changed when we have established that they can't change question mark. So this is an inconsistency, but it's also a dramatic difference and we kind of have questioned, like, what do the Narnian talking animals and creatures represent? Are they some kind of angelic entities? Are they nature? Are they some other kind of representative spirit? Are they just neutral parties? Are they humans in their untainted form of non-sinned form, representative of a non-sinning world? One, a world that has never gone against Aslan. Because when they do lose, what they do violate the one rule that Aslan gave them at creation, which was not to revert to their wild ways. Which They does, become different and it's the only change that they can make. Which, you, you bring that up, which is something that Aslan does give them as a commandment when he creates the world. Uh, which does imply that they have a choice in this. Yes. They have, they act have, have to actively choose to revert back. This isn't just a thing that can happen. Yes. And with that said, is this a symbolic way of describing when men go wrong, when humans are sinning, when humans are out of the will of God? Is this what Lewis is trying to parallel here and demonstrate by Lucy's statement here that what would what would it look like if men went wild and they still looked like men? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, I mean, it's deep. It could be a commentary on lots and lots of things. Like, it could be, uh, you know, forewarning. Hedonistic ways. Forewarning or... from Lewis. It could be, like, a theology lesson wrapped up in this. It could be him commenting on recent events because, like, these books are written, like, right on the post World War II, where, like, we could be referencing, like, the Nazi ethos or something. And, and they still look like men. Mm hmm. Which I don't know how aware the children would have been of everything that went on there this soon after the war. I mean, I'd think it would be big news. So I'm sure they know something. But And we have a dramatic shift in perspective from Susan who says, we have enough to deal with here and now in Narnia mm-hmm. without imagining things like that. Which mm-hmm. is a dramatic shift for Susan to just being like, I don't want to think about that, so I'm going to be here and now in Narnia all of a sudden. Yeah. Instead of thinking about how this might not be Narnia or this might not be real or whatever it is that Susan has kind of established mm-hmm. that she's been this kind of... Well, she does do a lot of shooting down in this chapter. Like, she's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> she misses she that misses shot from the bear, bear, but she, she suits down a lot of ideas, which arguably harder to hit than a bear you know she's a good shot though yeah um her 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 bow doesn't easily miss but yeah that is that is a it is a deep thought it's worth dwelling on it's it's something that i don't know if a lot of children of the age that are supposed to be reading these books have the emotional intelligence to process even like i'm not like i think for the most part, children live in a very clear-cut world of good and bad. Mm. And, like, don't necessarily have the world experience to go in into shades of gray and, like, what does it mean for someone to be good and can that change? 
But we also have an age range of the kids here from like 9 to 14. Yeah. And so if the audience is at that cusp of of developing more Mm. abstract thought Mm. and not being stuck solely in this concrete thought, Mm -hmm. like this system of abstract thought starts with things like this as a Mm -hmm. kid. Like this is how you learn to start thinking about shades of gray in the world Mm -hmm. is to ask questions like this. Yeah. What if someone's not what they look like? Mm Mm-hmm even as something as simple as that is also taught in like the fairy tales that we let kids watch uh-huh. with the Which sometimes we shouldn't those are like terrifying snow white and the and the witch who disguises herself and gives snow white the apple like she's not what she looks like well maybe she is and either way like uh-huh. this is a system of betrayal and a system of deception Mm -hmm. that we we start introducing to children at very young ages in order to develop in them this opportunity for abstract thought and to build shades of gray but we do it in our in our world we do it in a very black and white way we're like nope that's evil it doesn't look like evil right now but yep no all the consequences are bad Mm -hmm. um and i think that there's more nuance in movies like frozen where you have a character like Elsa who enacts harm on others and is still in the end a good person. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it's, it is a part of the development. Now, whether or not Lucy is like the shining example of a development of, of gray thinking, uh-huh. uh, I don't, I don't think so, but yeah. This is a tool that can be used for this kind of thing. And I think that it's important that it's present because it shows that Lewis mm-hmm. doesn't think that children should be thinking in just black and white exclusively. Yeah. We have characters like Nickabrick who are obviously harsh and angry and villainous descriptions of this character, mm-hmm. but still on the side of right and still fighting for right. Yeah. And so we have various different like perspectives that really like do come through that show that Lewis is portraying this this shade of gray that isn't always portrayed in a theologian's fiction. Yeah. Um no, I do I do think he he does a really good job with grayish characters in this book. Can't fault him for that. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I'd say all three of them, like the Badger and Nickabrick and Trumpkin, all fall into that category. Yeah, I mean, Trumpkin is the one who's vocally like, I don't believe in magic and Aslan. Mm-hmm. I'm still going to go on this mission to find out if the magic horn did something. Uh-huh. You know, like... Yeah, and I, I think that's that's a fun new one. I, I don't want to get into this because we're like, we're going off on a lot of tangents on this episode. But I think that's a fun nuance that, like, and I don't know who's out there today printing out Christian children's literature, if this is even a thing. I'm sure it is somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, like, uh, I feel like that's a nuance that you wouldn't necessarily see in the modern Christian realm space, where, like, you could have, like, a good guy atheist character. <laughs> like, I just don't, I don't think that would be a thing that would show up. I mean, it's it's not exactly my wheelhouse to be reading Christian fiction, but mm-hmm. um, when I was... A preteen and teen, I was reading the Left Behind for Teens books, which 
by definition, everybody in those books was not a Christian when the rapture happened. And so they're all bad people. Yeah. But anyway, that all aside, and let's get back to the book. I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah. They continue moving on and they make it to this gorge that they find where they were looking for a small creek. Mm -hmm. And... They're like, we are lost, we're lost, we don't know where, we, we've gotten lost completely. And Trumpkin's like, why could this not be the rush? Because Peter really doesn't just doesn't understand how time works. He really doesn't. <laughs> he really doesn't. Because he's, he's, he keeps, yeah. No, he does not understand how the passage of time can possibly have changed as much, as quickly as it has. But also, for him, he was here a year ago. Yes. From his perspective, it's been one year. Yes. But and everything is dramatically different. I also feel like this whole scene plays into my whole theory of Peter having no idea what's going on and not remembering anything. Oh, yeah. He's just yeah, been yeah. wandering around in the woods, being like, hmm, this, this doesn't look like a river. Huh. Hmm. Huh. That's weird. That's so weird. <laughs> it doesn't look anything like it's supposed to look yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Well, could it not be the rush in the gorge? And King Peter, keeping his temper with some difficulty because the rush is not in a gorge. Well, before this, we have another fun fight between the children uh, that I can read some of here. Anyway, so we do have this fun uh, exchange that happens. Oh, do let's go back and go the other way, said Susan. I knew all along we'd get lost in these woods. Susan, said Lucy reproachfully. Don't nag at Peter like that. It's so rotten and he's doing all he can. And don't you snap at Sue like that either, said Edmund. I think she's quite right. Tubs and tortoiseshells. <laughs> yeah, so all the kids are at each other's throats here a little bit. Which, I guess really goes to show you, like, the, you know, what was expected of children manners-wise in this day and age versus, like, versus now. Because, mm-hmm. like, reading this as a as a modern child, like, none of this seems, like, that rude or out of place. And yet they're all like, don't snap at her. Mm-hmm. And, like... All that kind of stuff. Like, there's no name calling. There's no insults about like lineage, like, <laughs> like there's none of that. It's just like, oh, but hey, don't much take of that, that tone. Do you think is the influence of them being in Narnia again and remembering their royal status? Yeah, because then we know. have Trumpkin chi- chiming in here and being like, "We got lost coming here. What's <laughs> to make you think we're not going to get lost going back?" Yeah, he, he's the voice of reason in this whole chapter, where he's just like, "We don't have time for this, guys. Come on." Let's go. Like Trumpkin as the voice of reason, the one who doesn't believe in magic. Whoa. Just that just throwing it out there. <laughs> Crazy. Uh yeah, and after that then we have the whole argument about what what the rush isn't in a gorge. What if it is? What if there's an earthquake? Which Trumpkin, would, you're a brick. Which they wouldn't call it an earthquake. A Narnia quake? It's a groundquake. Yeah. It's what they called it's what they're called in Star Wars, they call them groundquakes. Yes, because it's the ground movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that makes sense. Um, and then they have this whole decision about whether or not they're going to go up or down, if we want to climb or we want to go back down to the river. And then Lucy sees something. What? Wait, what, wait, wait. <laughs> what did Lucy see? What Lucy saw was... This is, we're terrible. Um, she says she saw Aslan. Ah. She's just like, the lion. There it is. Aslan himself. Don't and you see? And Susan says, where did you think you saw him? <laughs> Don't... Talk like a grown-up, said Lucy, stamping her foot. Mm -hmm. I didn't think I saw him. I saw him. 
Now, this is the second reference we've had in this chapter to grown-ups. Mm-hmm. I skipped over the first one because we just got run in too quickly. But at the very end of the very first paragraph, we have the, a reference to grown-ups that I felt was important to bring up because we've talked about how grown-ups are talked about by the children in the books previously. Mm-hmm. In Magician's Nephew and Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe especially. But we have, as the children are... Um, Wondering whether or not they're going to be able to find Caspian and how all of this works as they're going up the glass water in the first paragraph of this chapter. Now they wondered what they would do when they found him and how a handful of dwarfs and woodland creatures could defeat an army of grown-up humans. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I just want to throw it back here for a second back to this idea of grown-ups as like completely different types of people. Mm-hmm. from children and i think that there is another tie-in here with the creatures and their changeable nature when they can choose to stay children and childlike or they can choose to become grown up and go wild so this is just an idea maybe it's something more for baseless speculation that we can go into later mm-hmm. but either way i wanted to just kind of throw in there this kind of idea of the possibility of grown-up being more than just grown-up. No, I think there's there's something there. Like, I didn't read that into it. Uh, I think it was, trying not to use the word interesting, um, worth noting that <clears throat> it's another instance where it paints them, the, the Pevensies, much more as children than adults. It's like even after this time in Narnia and them remembering their past lives except Peter. Um, they they still think of themselves as children. At least Lucy very much does. Yeah. And not somebody who's 30 something at this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's intriguing that you would say, uh, with the, with the animal thing that the childhood would be their, their sentient civil nature and growing up would be, you know, turning violent and feral, like, and not the reverse. So I think that's interesting that you go there. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, no. It's just, it, it was an idea. It was a thought process that I wanted to, you mm-hmm. know, possibly spend some time on. But we've spent a lot of time on this chapter. Yeah, so we have. Um, don't be so stupid, said Lucy. <laughs> Do you think I don't know Aslan when I see him? Yep. And then they have this conversation about knowing Aslan, and they convince the dwarf that, you know, hey... You don't have to understand. But you're pretty don't you dare talk about him that way. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bad luck. It's bad luck to talk about Aslan that way. Yep. It's not like it's, it's you know, sacrilegious or anything. It's just bad luck to do so. Yeah, I, I, I thought that that was an interesting line. <laughs> uh-huh. But that's also, you know, coming from Peter who doesn't remember this, so. Yeah, and then uh, only Lucy sees the lion, so we have to have a vote on whether or not we believe Lucy or not. <laughs> Whether or not, not whether, but whether or not we're going to go the direction Lucy says that she thinks that the lion wants them to go. Yes, but it's also, it's a question of belief because if, if everybody unequivocally said, oh, Lucy absolutely saw the lion, they'd be like, yeah, let's go that way. True. But there's a lot of doubt here, which is why they're like, well, let's vote on whether or not we can trust her. Again. <laughs> yeah. Don't they teach logic in schools? Mm-hmm. Uh, which one of them is the more honest? Well... Maybe it hurt her that Edmund voted in her favor. 
hey, Edmund's the swing state here. He like is. this is uh this is some really good growth for Edmund that he shows up and he's just like, hey, I was wrong to not believe her before. Like that came back and bit us. Like maybe we should listen to her this time. Maybe we is, shouldn't kill Aslan again. Which is why I included that line in my summary because I think that's very uh, that sums up the chapter very well. Wouldn't it be fair to listen to her for a change? For a change, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, this time. It doesn't say yeah. for a change, but basically the same thing. Yeah. Uh, but ultimately, she's voted down. You know, and, and they very, go down. Very literally, they go down, uh, which does seem like the easier path. And based on me being lazy, I'd probably vote to go down. Um, but like, Lucy came last of the party, crying bitterly. Yep. Yeah. She's real seen. upset that she's lost. Uh yeah, I mean, we can we can talk for ages about whether or not Lucy is actually being honest here, but the next chapter is called The Return of the Lions, so we can probably assume. Was this based off of Return of the King, or, I mean, because, as we all know... Could be. Aslan's Jesus. What? Um, we need to stop doing that joke at some point. Uh, we're going to do this joke <laughs> until the last episode of this podcast, and then into subsequent podcasts that we do. If we keep talking about other books, we're going to bring up Aslan being Jesus. <laughs> this is a thing that's going to follow us. Yep. Um... Yeah, so there's a chapter. Uh, I think we really, really got into it. Um, I don't think there's anything we didn't really cover. And you said because the boring chapters. This is a boring chapter because the boring ones we pick apart more and try to find more stuff out of rather oh, than just there focusing. Was so much in this. There is. And the trees. And the trees. <laughs> don't you remember? Um, Do you remember me? Huh. Do you remember it? The trees. So we still have two more segments to get to. So we need to, if we're, if that's good for us, we need to go ahead and mosey on over. Move along. Uh, you want to go right into Narnia Chopped and Screwed? Sure, why not? All right. So in this segment, uh, what we do is we go back through the chapter. We find five more sentences that we use to create an entirely new story. Just taking, you know, the fruits of the garden that the, uh, the book gives us and making our own dish out of that. Like that one show on Netflix. <laughs> uh, you know, we, we go forage in the garden. And then we make crazy, crazy stuff. Crazy delicious. Yes. I wasn't going to name it in case they charge us money. Um, <laughs> for this free and, advertising. And we present it to the gods. Yeah. The food gods. Uh, so, Kristen, without further ado, would you like to go ahead and read your rewrite first? Sure. Mine, mine I think, is pretty good. Not to toot my own horn. Toot, toot. Uh, but, but go ahead. Are you done yet? I'm done. Do you remember me? She went towards the light and came to a place where there were fewer trees and whole patches or pools of moonlight. But the moonlight and the shadows so mixed that you could hardly be sure where anything was or what it was. Such a horrible idea has come into my head, Sue. I saw the face and I heard the snarl. I dare say, you two youngsters... Kings, I should say, know how to skin a bear. Okay, yeah. Okay. So, kind of a, a different take on the, the bear approach situation is what you went for. Yeah, the bear wasn't a bear because it started by yeah. asking, do you remember me? Oh, I thought that I thought that was from Lucy's perspective. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Okay, okay. They killed Lucy. Or it could be a And talking. skinned her like she was a bear. Okay. Yeah, I didn't get that out of that. Okay. It, it is. It, you went a dark direction, though. I, I also went a dark direction. So we, it's a we, dark chapter. It is. 
I almost want to read that again to, to get more nuance out of it. Do you remember me? She went towards the light and came to a place where there were fewer trees and whole patches or pools of moonlight. But the moonlight and the shadows so mixed that you could hardly be sure where anything was or what it was. Such a horrible idea has come into my head, Sue. I saw the face and I heard the snarl. I dare say you two youngsters, kings, I should say, know how to skin a bear. Okay, yeah. It's got some depth to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is Lucy the bear in this chapter, Bug? Tell me. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, Have the other kids gone wild? Possibly. I uh, I am really intrigued because I went a very similar direction that's also dark and, like, I don't know. It's I don't think this chapter is this, like, grim, but... No, but it has a lot of grim imagery in it. Here we go. Here is my rewrite. Wouldn't it be dreadful if someday in our own world at home men started going wild inside, like the animals here, and still looked like men so that you'd never know which was which? I know what a horrid, messy business that will be. Lucy was knocked down and winded, hearing the twang of a bowstring as she fell. The dwarf gave a low whistle between his teeth. He only wanted little girl for his breakfast. Okay. Okay. So really, I mean, are you telling a new story? Or are you... Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm having the dwarf shoot and kill Lucy. It's very... Oh. Yeah. Oh, he only wanted the little girl for his breakfast. Got it. I thought that you were talking about some man who had gone wild, like some third party and Trumpkin had saved her. No, this is about Trumpkin. Oh, okay, 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 okay. I was like, I I, I thought based on the silence that you didn't actually get where I was going after that. (laughs) I didn't because I was interpreting it through the lens of the chapter as it was actually written as opposed to Mm -hmm. a new story. Yeah. Sorry. We were both slow on that one. Yeah. It's been a long podcast. It has. Um, So while I still have some juice left in me, cool, those are our rewrites. Uh, If we'd like to go into our last segment here. Which is, of course, baseless Baseless speculation. speculation. We'll get that at some point. Like, you know, we try every episode totally. Uh, And in this segment, uh, largely mine, because I have never read these books before. I have no idea what's actually going to happen, though from context clues, I have a pretty good idea at this point. They're not hard books to predict usually. Uh, But just for funsies, I like to look at the chapter and based on my limited information, speculate on what's going on here, what behind the scenes and where it's going to go. And so for this chapter, I have an interesting one uh, that I'm actually kind of serious about a little bit. You know, not that I'm never not serious. That was a triple negative. Wow. Anyway, so we've talked a bit in previous books about the idea of the Trinity as presented uh, in the stories mm-hmm. and how Aslan is Jesus, right? And we have this recurring motif of the emperor across the sea who's his father who we never, we don't know anything about other than the fact that he has a cool staff with something about traitors written on it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have the father and the son and we've tried to get into a little bit of like uh, characters who might be like the Holy Spirit. Like we have Father Christmas who shows up. We have the, pro- not the prophet, the hermit. Uh, like mysterious figures like this who 
But we also have the secret directing of Aslan throughout the entirety of the horse and his boy, which we also ascribed to a Holy Spirit-esque nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have an idea to throw at you in this chapter. What if the Holy Spirit is Lucy? From the beginning. She's the first one there. Don't they teach you logic in schools? Mm-hmm. She's the first one that comes wow. into this. She's the she's like the harbinger of change that comes into it. She's the one that gives hope to Tumnus. Uh, what really got me going down this path was like her speaking to the trees in this and her being like a whisper and <laughs> that wow. wakes the trees from their slumber. Wow, she's the voice calling out to the trees. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. What if there's something about her? What if what there if... is something about her? Yeah. I mean, she likes toast. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah, just wanted to sit with that for a minute. Okay, I like that. Uh-huh. We'll now, have to keep looking at that. Yeah, do I, do I necessarily think that this is what Lewis intended? No. Uh, but it is a fun idea. And I think there's definitely something special about Lucy in Narnia. And yeah. why things keep coming back to her. Yeah. Because I'm trying to think, like... In, in various different analytical schools of thought that I've studied in literary theory, like there are different perspectives that you can take and be like, oh, okay, let's psychoanalyze this book and assign different characters the roles of id ego and super ego and things like that. Mm-hmm. And we can think of like Trumpkin being the super ego or whatever, like, or being the ego or whatever. And this kind of struggle between the the older two kids to be the super ego or not. And so, yeah, with, with that kind of idea, I'm thinking about also breaking this down into a three-part trinity of, of representing God in a theological sense. And so, like, interesting, I've never taken a book this direction. Wow. We're exploring new territory here. Well, you know, whatever. I mean, Lucy's also the healer. She is the healer. What is her royal title again? She is the Valiant. Okay. I don't know if that one fits very well, but. As opposed to Susan the Gentle? Yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't fit. But... Uh-huh. No, I don't know. I didn't really have a lot to go on other than that, like, that bomb to just drop and let people mull on it for a while. Okay. And see if we get any fun responses to that when this episode airs. Yeah. See if Nathan texts you about it. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, so that was my short little baseless speculation for this episode, and, uh, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, same, same. So, with that bomb to mull on. <laughs> yeah, some, a little something to chew on. A little, little slice of bear meat. Just gonna say an apple, but <laughs> you went to the bear meat. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you want to participate in this discussion about whether or not Lucy is the Holy Spirit, you can, I mean, her name is Lucy. Doesn't that come from light? Isn't that what the name origin comes from? Yeah. Anyways, if you want to talk more with us about that, you can do so at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of the trees not quite moving at it's slightly rustling at chronically podcast at gmail.com and as always and as always never mock a man save when he is stronger than you then 
as you please. And uh, never fill your pockets with raw meat, unless you're going on a really long journey and you might need it later. Or listen to your younger sibling. Thanks. That one too. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Somebody once told me Aslan rules in Narnia. Yep. So there you go. You heard it here, heard it here folks. You heard it here first, folks. Alright. What are we reading this week, Kristen? I already told everybody oh. that you weren't paying attention. Okay, well, this is, this is a nighttime podcast. Like, this is how I've always introed this show. Well, then that being said, who wants to do the uh, summary first? This, the summary of chapter nine? Yeah. What Lucy saw? Yeah. Remember when we did that whole thing where, like, well, we tried it for one episode. It was, like, the first episode we ever recorded where we were like, we're going to have a tea time to come this, and we're going to talk about tea that we're drinking. And I we're do gonna remember that. drink tea every episode. Oh, it's dead now. <laughs> wait, what? wait, wait, wait. What did Lucy see? What Lucy saw was... We're terrible. Mine, mine, I think, is pretty good. Not to toot my own horn. Toot, toot. Uh, <laughs> it's still Wednesday, Chris. God, why? Why do we do this on Wednesdays? I tried to make you record on Monday this week, and you yeah. were like, No, I don't want to do it. I was like, well, your only other option <sighs> is after my hair appointment on Wednesday. Why are Wednesday, Wednesdays a loud day? It is a loud <sighs> day. It just is. People die more on Wednesdays, apparently. I'm going to look that up afterwards.